Welcome back to the Wild Side News. And now, Sydney Wildsmith. Jane Goodall. The name itself inspires wonder. Her lifelong dedication to understanding the depth of our closest animal relatives has inspired all of us to watch, listen, and learn, and then hopefully do everything we can to save life here on the earth. In a moment, Jane Goodall delivers the keynote address to the kids of the world, past, present, and future. So that means you when we return here on the Wild Side News. Wildside News. And now, Sydney Wildsmith. Jane Goodall is the honorary chair of 2004's International Children's Conference on the Environment. She is about to deliver the keynote address to the delegates and to all the children of the world through the Wildside News. And now, Jane Goodall. Um, of course, she needs very little introduction. Remarkable person who has dedicated much of her life to understanding chimpanzees. Her groundbreaking work has certainly given us better understanding of the chimpanzees, but not only that, their connection to humans. I'd like to now introduce you to Dr. Jane Goodall. Dr. Goodall. Well, wow, you've made me feel welcome here. Thank you. I think I'm going to start off by giving you a greeting in chimpanzee. <laughs> that really means just hello. I'm Jane. You know, that's how they greet the morning. It was in 1960 that I began studying these chimpanzees, and the world was very different back then. And people thought differently about animals then than they do today, although sadly some people still have those same old stereotyped ideas that animals are just things, but I'm sure all of you who are here today know better. At any rate, chimpanzees are more like us than any other living creature. Just to give you a feeling of, of when I talk about how like us they are, you know, biologically they're like us, and so many of their ways of communicating are like ours. It's kissing, embracing, holding hands, patting on the back, swaggering and things of this sort. And there's this long-term relationship between the child and the mother that lasts through life. And I thought I'd give you one story here. Let's imagine we're out in the forest of Gombe where it's very peaceful and it's dim and green under the canopy and walking along through the forest by himself is a splendid young male he's 23 years of age in his prime his name happens to be Satan because of something bad he did he suddenly hears sounds from a big tree ahead of him that means a group has found a wonderful food source his hair bristles with excitement he hurries along the trail he gets near this tree and he swings up into the branches. It's filled with chimpanzees feeding there and ripe fruit. 
And Satan sees a, a nice bunch of red fruit and there's a young male feeding at that nice big bunch of fruit. But Satan's dominant to him, so that's okay, and he's, he <coughs> threatens that young male who screams and moves away, and Satan begins to feed. But what Satan didn't know is that that young male's older brother is feeding higher in the tree. And now he comes swinging down hearing his kid brother scream, and the two brothers start attacking Satan. Now Satan screams. To my amazement, a very ancient female with her hair worn thin, her teeth worn down to the gums, starts swinging through the branches overhead and she drops down onto these three males, each of whom weighs at least twice what she does. And with her little fist, she begins hitting on the two brothers. And I think they're so surprised, they <laughs> threaten her and Satan gets away. That was Satan's ancient mother, Sprout. So I just, and she must have been about 50 years old or maybe a little longer because chimpanzees can live to be more than 60. So chimps can live a long time and they can show many behaviors just like ours. And so it's very sad to find that in the wild they're disappearing. There used to be maybe two million, somewhere between one and two million a hundred years ago. There's no more than 150,000 left. And they're spread across Africa. And many of them, like the famous Gombe chimpanzees, are in such small areas and such few in that population that in the long term they probably cannot survive in breeding or start. So the chimpanzees, unless we can do something about it, are going to disappear. There'll just be some left in the protected areas and the rest will be gone. And your grandchildren probably will only learn about them from books unless we can get together and do something. And the plight of the chimpanzees highlights the plight of so many of the amazing animals in the world. And as you all know, they are becoming extinct. Every day another species becomes extinct and we may not think it matters. But as you all know, around the world everything is connected. And if we start pulling too many pieces away from the bottom of the pyramid, the whole thing will collapse, including us on the top. And it was when I realized the plight of the chimps, not only in the wild, but in captivity, and I decided I would have to use the knowledge I'd gained from the chimps to travel around the world talking about their plight. And the more I traveled, the more I realized how interconnected everything was, like the problems that face Africa, the loss of the forest, the spread of the desert, the worsening famines and droughts and floods, the sickness and the ethnic conflict, so much of that is the result, the direct result, of ways of behaving by the wealthy northern nations, still exploiting Africa's last resources, still destroying old cultures. And so I began traveling further and further. And the more I traveled talking about these things, the terrible problems facing humanity because of environmental degradation, the environmental refugees, the refugees from war and conflict, the cruelty that we find around the world. And I kept meeting young people who seemed to have lost hope. And when I talked to these young people uh, to ask them what the problems were, they basically said, it's because you, the older generations, have compromised our future. We have. And that's why this program, Roots and Shoots, began. Roots and Shoots is a symbolic name. Roots make a firm foundation. 
should seem tiny, but to reach the sun can break through a brick wall. And if we see the brick wall as all these problems that we have inflicted on the planet, then you see it's a message of hope. And the most important message of Roots and Shoots is that every single individual matters and has a role to play, and that you cannot, however hard you try, live through a day without making an impact on the world around you. And you all have a choice as to what kind of impact we're going to make. And Roots and Shoots is making a difference. You roll up your sleeves and you take action. You do something to make the world better for the environment, something to make it better for animals, something to make it better for people. Together they have planted millions of trees and cared for the trees. They've cleared out tons and tons of garbage. They've recycled. Uh, they've even created shelters. Even in China where it's thought that people are cruel to animals, we have Roots and Shoots kids who raised the money in a rural area and created a shelter. We have groups that have gone into hospitals to spend time with kids with cancer. And since 9-11, We've had a very strong peace initiative. We're all about sowing seeds of global peace. And I think that that's why Kofi Annan, two years ago, gave me the honor but the responsibility of being one of his nine messengers of peace. And when that happened, one of our Roots and Shoots young men got together with a group that makes puppets. And they created, for that occasion, a giant peace dove puppet that is a day which is the United Nations International Peace Day. There is a day when all around the world we can get together and show we want peace. Everywhere around the world people like us are tired of bombs and guns and violence and we want peace. So last year when I had the idea why don't we have giant peace doves flying on that day all around the world? We had at least 400 giant doves flying in more than 30 countries, spread all around the world. But this year, this year is going to be different. This year we want to have at least 5,000 doves flying around the world. I want to be able to have somebody up in the satellite look down on that day and see these white wings of peace spreading around the world. And with the, with the birds flying around the world, we have uh, kids with hand bells, or the church bells ringing, or the temple bells. And so that, you know, you all know how many people went on the streets in so many countries to protest the bombing of Iraq. You know that. And in spite of that, there still was war and bombs were dropped. And so I think that people expect that well now everybody realizes it's useless to protest war so we'll just give up. That's not the way to do it is it? If two million people in England wasn't enough to convince the government that the British people didn't want war, let's have every one of those two million people get five people to come and join them next time all with giant peace doves and see if they can ignore that in England. I just want to end up by saying that the question I get most asked is, Dr. Jane, do you really have hope for the future? Especially after the invasion of Iraq, especially uh, after 9-11, do you really have hope? Well, my reasons for hope have been written about. First of all, this amazing brain we have, 
that has enabled us to develop a sophisticated spoken language and to communicate with each other around the world. Things that our ancestors couldn't possibly have dreamed about. Brains are being joined, hearts are being joined, hands are being joined, and we are finding ways to live in greater harmony with nature. You all know that. Secondly, nature is so amazingly resilient. You've all seen buildings that have been abandoned, how gradually the grass and the flowers and the plants come through, and animal species on the brink of extinction can be given a second chance. And my third reason for hope is the indomitable human spirit, the people who tackle impossible tasks and won't give up. There are political leaders like Nelson Mandela and I carry a piece of limestone from Robben Island prison with me where he spent where he spent 17 of his 23 years of imprisonment and yet emerged with this amazing capacity to forgive some of the leaders of the indigenous people, the spiritual leaders, who in spite of the risk of torture or even death, they hung on to their culture, they hung on to their spiritual beliefs, and now we see that those traditions, including the language, are still alive. So my fourth reason for hope then is all of you. Everywhere I go I find young people who are just so filled with energy and commitment and determination and hope. And without this hope, you'll find you won't get very far. And sometimes you'll find it's difficult to find the hope within you. But look around you. Think about the four reasons for hope that I've just explained briefly. And then perhaps you will find additional hope. And a little while ago, just after 9-11 actually, a woman came up to me after one of my talks and she gave me this little bell. And she said, Jane, if you're talking about hope and peace, you must ring this little bell. So I've rung it in so many places. And the reason that she gave me this bell is because it's made from metal, from a landmine that was diffused by a United Nations bomb platoon. And it comes from the killing fields of Pol Pot in Cambodia. Pol Pot had one of the most brutal regimes ever. He's certainly not the only one, but it was a very, very brutal and long-drawn-out reign of terror. And now Pol Pot is gone, the Khmer Rouge are disbanded, the Cambodians are beginning to put their lives back together. I lived through World War II in England, and although I wasn't in the middle of the bombing, it seemed inevitable that England would be invaded by the Germans. They were just across this narrow English channel, and they were organized, and they were mighty, and England wasn't ready at all. And we just had a Prime Minister who said England will not be defeated. So all the old men rushed out and learned to wield pickforks. You know, it was as simple as that. And anyway, we were not defeated. And so I'm ending with that thought because we are living in a very dangerous time today. And it can seem very dark. But I think the important thing to remember is that other people have felt the same. Other people have felt we're living in a dangerous time and how is it ever going to get better? And somehow this human brain, the resilience of nature, the indomitable human spirit and the energy and commitment of you young people is going to get us through. If we all join hands, what happens when this human brain goes rushing off doing all the amazing things it can do technologically and it becomes disconnected with the human heart.
that's when things go wrong. So always remember to keep your head and your heart closely connected and reach out to other people's hands. And if we can get this connection going around the world, and that's what all you young people are actually here for, connect up brains, hearts, and hold hands, and then indeed we can look forward to a better and a more peaceful future if we help each other, if we maintain hope. So that's the message I have for you. Never give up. There's always hope. Thanks. Let us hope that the peace Jane Goodall is working to create may soon flood the world with cooperation, friendship, and dignity for all. <laughs>